my baby beside me at the wheel. I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile. My curiosity running wild. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Riding along in my automobile. I was anxious to tell her the way I feel. So I told her softly and sincere. And she leaned and whispered in my ear. Cuddling more and driving slow. With no particular place to go. My name's Roger Scott. In this story from my life, everything is true as I remember it, apart from some of the names which I've changed. The only names that haven't been changed are my own name and Mohammed's, because he deserves the credit. I want to talk about the hardest piece of self-improvement that I've undertaken since I finished my degree and became a qualified teacher back in 2006, and that is learning to drive at the age of 37 in Bradford during the pandemic. My driving journey actually began a decade ago, shortly after I married my lovely wife, and she found out she was entitled to personal independence payments for mobility, and therefore we could access the Mobility Scheme, which is basically a three-year hire of a brand new car where all you have to do is add fuel. A great offer. I'd always wanted to learn how to drive, but always knew I couldn't afford to run a car. Mobility made that possible. If I could somehow learn to drive, we could go to so many places and do so much more. It really would make us an independent family. I wouldn't have to cycle up and down Manchester Road to work every day. My mum and grandma are getting older these days. They live over 40 miles away. We could help them more. And most of all, I could take care of three wonderful daughters on holiday for the first time in their lives. Being able to drive would be the start of so many incredible adventures. But I could never afford the lessons. This changed in September 2019 when my dad passed away. He wasn't a rich man, but he was a hard worker. And his hard work meant he'd left me a sum of money. It wasn't a fortune, but it was enough to book myself on a driving course and see if I could pass my test. What a great final act from my dad it would be if he could help me out with this one final thing. But first came the theory test. I booked it to be in March 2020, but as the new year started, I was somewhat distracted from revision by news of a strange virus that was starting to spread out from China. Could give us some trouble. But at the same time, I booked my first lessons. A 40-hour intensive driving course. That'll do me. If all went to plan, I'd be driving by the summer. First lockdown happened and it delayed my theory test until June, but I wasn't complaining and I could still be driving by the summer. And so, in June 2020, I found myself queued outside the DVSA office in Little Germany behind a nice bloke who told me he had to retake his test after getting banned. He was very keen to get his licence back so he could return to his job delivering takeaways. He passed his theory test that day and so did I. And I always wonder what happened to him. If he got back in the driver's seat, he'd probably done very well. There was a lot of call for drivers like him as the pandemic went on. At the end of June, the time came for my first lesson. The driving course company assigned me an instructor who I'll call Alex. And I'll never forget how daunted I felt getting into his gold Kia seed and thinking that I would somehow be sitting at that thing behind the wheel trying to control it. I was reassured as Alex told me driving was easy, just like a video game. And he was an experienced instructor with years of experience. I knew from my theory test that the sign of a qualified instructor was their badge. And sure enough, Alex had his pink instructor's badge up in his window. We had six hours of constantly going down Whopping Road outside the Abundant Life Centre. That's when I noticed Alex starting to lose his temper and shout at me. I told him that 
as a teacher, if it were me, I'd get sacked if I spoke to my pupils like that. But Alex said being a driving instructor was different because your life was at risk. And as a teacher, I should understand how frustrating it can be when one of your pupils is finding it hard to learn. After a few hours, it became a blessed relief when we were on straights and Alex was busy calling or texting on his phone. It meant I could relax and focus on driving without getting shouted at. The next six hours were spent around the Formbury Test Centre trying out manoeuvres. I was pretty good at them. I could reverse and forward Bay Park pretty well, but the nightmare came when we tried leaving the Test Centre, particularly on the Formbury Roundabout. I remember giving Alex strike two when I went the wrong way and he grabbed the wheel off me screaming, What are you doing? For God's sake, this guy, man. And when I asked where I should be going, he said, Nowhere, apparently. Strike three came at the end of the lesson, when I turned poorly, moving on to the end of my street, and Alex despaired at me, shouting, For God's sake, what am I going to do with you? Oh, God, we're getting nowhere. Sacking an instructor isn't easy. I sent my wife a secret text, and she was out of the house, backing me up at the end of the lesson. She asked Alex why I hadn't made much progress, and he said I was too nervous, and backed me up when I explained to him that, because after 20 hours, I was still nervous and progressing slowly, it was probably best that I take a break before we decided if we should go ahead with the other 20 hours. Alex probably knew I wouldn't be coming back and he took it quite well. He wished me well, shook my hand, which was a big deal in July 2020, then drove off. To be honest, I think he was quite relieved that I wouldn't be in the car stressing him out anymore. Didn't take me long before I telephoned a second instructor. Nick was the first one to answer and he said he could start straight away. So I was dead chuffed. Since the price of fuel was plummeting towards an all-time low, the only way you could go on holiday was by car. Lots of people were learning to drive, so I felt lucky he was able to take me on. When he asked if I wanted to learn manual or automatic, somehow I found myself saying automatic. I reasoned it would take less time, and seeing as by 2030 all new cars must have electric and therefore be automatic anyway, I thought I should go for that. Time will tell if that was the right decision. But I started with Nick in summer 2020, which felt like the longest, hottest summer ever, and with all public transport to British destinations packed out, me and my family couldn't go anywhere. Fortunately, I could take my driving lessons with Nick. I remember those first lessons, poodling around Byerley, making sure my turning was perfect, and it felt so much better with Nick than it did with Alex. It was also clear he had more expertise than Alex. When I told him about my past experience, Nick was horrified. I told him my old instructor would use his phone during lessons. Apparently that's illegal. And I felt just as horrified when Nick asked me, what colour was his badge? And when I told him it was pink, he informed me that meant he was a provisional instructor then and wasn't even fully qualified. And so over the next three months we went from poodling around Byerley to poodling around most of Bradford in Nick's car. A Toyota Yaris hybrid that honestly I absolutely hated. The steering was spongy, it was hard to control and the brakes made the most horrible farting noise whenever you use them. But Nick's kindness, patience and little quirks that just amused me kept me going and slowly growing in confidence. More slowly than surely I was improving. Then September ended and another lockdown came. Five months later, after we had had a jolly small Christmas, a few weeks after the government put out their roadmap, I was back on the road with Nick. Fortunately, I'd kept up my revision and shook off the rust pretty quickly, and Nick was a big believer in revision. He had a very specific and very strict style of driving, a safe, slow but complex style, but I knew that if I perfectly followed it, I would definitely pass my test. We went out in snow, fog, and even once both. And I was actually able to keep it together enough to drive the safer, longer roads of Bradford in those conditions and feel like I was in control. Things were looking good. By springtime, with Nick guiding me, I could drive that little Yaris around most of the roads of Bradford, but there was still much hampering me. I was still nervous, and for so long I'd hold the wheel so tight it would affect my steering. Nick must have said to me, Loose with the left hand a thousand times. But still, if there was a lorry overtaking me, a bus ahead, a tight gap to squeeze through, 
or if I'm honest, any decision I needed to make, I'd tense up again and Nick would end up taking the wheel. Since we had come back, I'd been asking Nick when I should book my test. I was getting worried because waiting times were getting long, as long as three months, and I desperately didn't want to spend another summer unable to drive. With a two-hour lesson every week, the money from my dad was now gone. Fortunately, I had saved up, and with that, and the help of a very generous gift from a family member, I was able to keep up my schedule, and in the Easter holidays, we had a two-hour lesson almost every day. After more hectoring from me, which I could tell was annoying him, Nick told me I should finally book my test. I tried to ask him how many more lessons I'd need, but all he would tell me was, as many as it takes, the more you have, the more likely you are to pass. I booked the test for June, promising Nick I would do whatever it took, however many lessons I needed, to get test ready. It was in these lessons that I began to notice just how precise Nick was. We'd go around Broad Lane and Parsonage Road, sometimes for an entire lesson, maybe two, maybe even three. Then we'd do the same around Midpoint and Dick Lane near the test centre. Oh, the worst one was Fagley Road and Flaxton Gardens because the drive there always involved meeting situations in a tight space, at speed, followed by a mini roundabout and then a wide road that somehow I never seemed to be positioned correctly on and it made me so nervous I felt sick. I had to keep doing the same turns again and again until I got it right, exactly how Nick wanted it. We learned how to do manoeuvres using the stop-start technique. When I'd looked the manoeuvres up online, they seemed so simple. Just two or three steps. As long as you knew your reference points, it'd be cushy. But Nick seemed to break them down into 20-odd steps. And honestly, although by the start of June I could do them, I still wasn't confident. The test was coming up, and it seemed clear Nick thought I wasn't ready. But he told me we were close. No big deal. Just book another test and it should be fine. Disappointed but understanding. I rebooked my test. I think Nick was a bit surprised at the start of our last lesson when I told him that I'd actually rebooked it for early August. By now, waiting times for tests were around four months, but my wife's incredible skill, patience and willingness to check the DVSA website at 5am every single morning had paid off. I remember Nick seeming a bit annoyed when I asked how many lessons I'd need to have a good chance of passing. He said this was a negative attitude and I should not focus on how many lessons I'm having. As a matter of fact, I shouldn't even talk about how my driving is going to other people because this would make me put more pressure on myself, make me more nervous and less likely to pass. Nick said I should be positive and after one lesson showed how positive he felt by telling one of my daughters, Daddy will drive you to the seaside when he passes. And that was the kind of thing that spurred me on and I was determined to pass. When the 2021 summer holidays began and there was three weeks to go until my test day, I asked Nick once again how many lessons should I take. He laughed and shook his head when I said, do you think 12 more hours would be enough? But Nick said, if I did a two-hour lesson every day, that would give me the best chance. And that's what I did. In the space of two weeks, I took 24 hours, costing me close to £700. The first three or four lessons went well. I mastered the manoeuvres and some of the more simple test routes like Calvary Road and Woodhouse Road were almost within my capability. When Nick was reminding me how good it would be when I passed my test, I suddenly didn't mind that I was reaching my overdraft limit. But by lesson five, things had changed. I felt like I needed a break. But what Nick insisted I needed was lessons. Lots of lessons. He insisted that we always drive in silence and I couldn't ask any questions while I was driving. When he was giving me feedback, he would insist that I turn and look at him in the eye the whole time. Because if I didn't do that on the test, the examiner would think I was rude and fail me. When I did something wrong and pulled over, I'd have to keep looking him in the eye while he catastrophized the entire situation. Like in one lesson, I committed the cardinal sin of letting the speedometer of the Yaris slip to 31 miles per hour on Dick Lane. Nick told me, if he hadn't stopped me, I would have ended up getting flashed by the speed camera, points on my licence, a ban, 
I could get a criminal record. I could lose my job. Did I want that? If I hit a pothole in the road, that just told the examiner I had no road sense. I was a careless driver and careless driving gets points. I could get banned. I could get criminal proceedings. And stop looking away from me, Roger. If you don't look at the examiner, the examiner will think you're rude and aren't paying attention and you'll fail your test. They'll drive us straight back to the test centre. It'll be a walk-off. They'll have me in the office saying, why are you taking such a bad driver in for his test? The final bit of catastrophizing came four days before my test date when Nick told me once again that if he took learners for the driving test when they weren't ready, he could lose his job. If I went for the test with no road sense, the chief examiner, his good friend, Chris Livesey, would be calling Nick to his office and saying, why are you sending me learners who aren't ready? In fact, Nick told me he was discussing my driving with Chris just last week. Nick even said he had Chris's number and I should call him myself. I wish I'd called his bluff on that. I had lessons so often that in the summer even my neighbours had noticed how many I was having and they expressed their concern that I'd been with Nick for so long and so much, surely I must be close to passing by now. My relatives, friends, even my colleagues had noticed this and questioned my instruction in the same way. And I should have listened to them. But none of them had been in the car with me. None of them had seen me drive. And Nick had told me not to listen to anyone else or pay attention to any of those instructors on YouTube. He had taught everybody how to drive. He'd done it for years and he knew I wasn't ready. As we drove around, he'd point at houses saying things like, See that house there? I taught her. And a daughter. See that car? He's a policeman. I taught him. See that lady walking a dog? Very good driver. I taught her. I'd have probably believed Mick if he had told me he'd taught the dog how to drive. At 1am, three days before my test date, during a sleepless night riddled with self-doubt, I went onto the DVSA website and once again cancelled. Everyone was dismayed. I felt like a fool. I'd given up most of my summer break and come close to putting my family in financial danger to get this far, and still I wasn't good enough. In our final lesson of the summer, I brought this news to Nick, along with telling him I would have to take a break for a couple of weeks. He suggested I should borrow money from family members so I could keep having more lessons, but thankfully I was assertive enough to draw the line there. The whole reason I wanted to drive was to help my family, not put them in danger by getting myself into debt. Thank goodness I did draw the line there. A few weeks break gave me time to take stock and discuss things with my wife. We decided Nick deserved one more chance. He was a nice guy, so patient, and better the devil you know, but this time I was taking control. I booked my test for October. Until then, I decided I'd only take one two-hour lesson a week, with perhaps three or four extra lessons leading up to the test. But if I wasn't ready by then, it'd be time to take a break and get a second opinion. Just as before, Nick was great. And when I did one lesson a week, I made good progress. I'd done everything I needed to do to pass the test at least once. Now I just needed to be consistent and cope with novel, unexpected situations. But once again, when crunch time approached, I found myself spending Nick's lessons just doing loops of the Midway Centre and around Fagley. With just five days to go before my test, Nick asked me to drive from my house to the test centre. I drove, in silence. Nick didn't say a word, just let me drive. I was so happy that I'd managed to drive all the way to the test centre, and I pulled into one of the bays with no guidance whatsoever, and Nick asked, how do you think that went? And I was quick to say, do you know, I think that went well. You must be joking, was the reply. For that drive, the examiner would give you what is called a D, a big D. I couldn't help but quip, D for discouraging. Nick proceeded to lecture me about how if I drove that close to the parked car on Broad Lane on my real test, I'd be going straight back to the test centre. It might even be a walk-off where we'd have to leave the car and walk back. That's when I knew that he was done. At the end of that lesson, I once again asked him if he thought I should take my test. And for the third time, I got the same reply. And that night, I did indeed again cancel my test. But this time, when I finished my next lesson with Nick, I told him that now I'd cancelled that test, I wanted a break. Because I was financially broke, I didn't want to book another lesson just yet. And a week later, my mum had a health scare, which gave me the perfect excuse to tell Nick I was taking a break from driving lessons indefinitely. When I told him this news, after I'd spent over 100 hours together with him in that car, 
and he'd received over £3,000 from me. His reply was only one word. Okay. And it was. My mum recovered quickly. Because the waiting times for driving tests were now becoming as long as six months, my wife resumed her 5am checks of the DVSA website and found me a test date in February 2022. And so, by the start of autumn 2021, it was time to get back on the market for a new instructor. You remember those YouTuber driving instructors that Nick said I shouldn't listen to? I decided I'd go with one of them. One such instructor was Mohammed, and when I called him on the phone, he sounded exactly like he did in his video. Cool, calm, perfectly clear. And when I did call him, he said that even though he was very busy and full, he might be able to fit me in for an assessment lesson in a few weeks' time. So I made it my mission to be an intriguing and determined enough pupil that he'd make time. And so it came to pass that at twilight, on the last week of November, I found myself with Mohammed inside his Mercedes GLA, a car I'd never driven before driving straight away around Wibsey and Halifax Road, where I'd never driven before, in the dark, which I'd also never driven in before. And you know, if I say so myself, it went pretty damn well. I was driving for about 90% of the lesson, with Mohammed only ever doing brief stops where he'd explain things to me so clearly and simply, I'd always nail it the next time. I was able to do parallel parking in the dark, thanks to the brilliance of his car and its predictive reversing camera. And at the end of the lesson, I knew I was onto a good thing when Mohammed asked if I had a test booked. And when I told him the day, he said... Do you know what, Roger? Unless I'm dead, you should be taking that test. We agreed terms, and if we were comparing costs to cars, Nick was indeed a Toyota Yaris, while Mohammed was a Mercedes GLA. But reassuringly, Mohammed actually told me I needed less lessons with him than I was having with Nick. So in the long run, saved me a fortune. After a few lessons with Mohammed, I was soaring. Even in the dark or snow, I was building confidence, making decisions, driving faster, and spending more time actually driving. I could speak while driving again. I could look where I wanted in the car when Mohammed gave me feedback. I was never accused of having a negative attitude. And the two times I let the speedometer slip one mile an hour over the speed limit, Mohammed didn't say a word. We were on to a winner. Then Omicron happened. I missed some lessons. Over Christmas break, Mohammed went abroad, so I missed even more lessons. But I didn't panic because Mohammed had reassured me I was a good driver and we still had plenty of time. Throughout our whole time together, not one discouraging word about my driving ever came out of that man's mouth. He was relentlessly positive, relentlessly encouraging, and relentlessly worked with me to take my driving to the highest level it could be. But by February, I had had only about five lessons with him, and I only had the time and money to squeeze in a few more before my test date. Four days before the real thing, it was time for my mock test. But Mohammed asked that we waited until my next lesson because he didn't have his filming equipment. It took us to two days before test time. And Storm Eunice hit. And it snowed. Lesson cancelled, mock test postponed. But fortunately, Mohammed was flexible and prepared. He had set time aside in case this happened. So the day before the real thing, I was taking my mock test. I knew I'd fail. I hadn't seen a single video where someone actually passed one of Mohammed's mock tests. But I knew Mohammed would be marking harshly. And as long as I didn't make a complete hash of it, there was still some hope. On the day after I mounted the curb in Agra's car park, Mohammed asked me to drive in there again and complete a reverse bay park in the corner of the car park. I did, but didn't really look over my right shoulder because that was just the corner of the car park. I felt Mohammed right on his pad. But I got out of the car park okay and didn't mount any curbs, so we were off to a good start. We got out of the car park and onto Sticker Lane. I realised I was going at a snail's pace and felt Mohammed going for his pad again, so I put my foot down and went confidently as he'd advised me to do. As we went towards Dudley Hill Roundabout, I felt my heart sink. Mohammed had told me, right at Dudley Hill Roundabout, third exit onto Wakefield Road, was one of the trickiest spots where learners fail in Bradford. But we'd practised enough. I needed a lot of help to get around it without messing up, but I knew what to do and where I was going. 
with laser focused, I followed my lane, signal left to exit, remember to stay below 30 until I was on Wakefield Road, and somehow I made it without Mohammed having to intervene. Down into town we descended, then a tricky right turn onto Leeds Road, making sure I turned right at the right time so I didn't end up going there on the wrong side of the road. Up Leeds Road we ascended, keeping an eye out for pedestrians and feeling Mohammed right on his pad when I had to brake hard to stop at a pelican crossing and let a woman pass. Going off Leeds Road, some goon on a microscooter made it tricky for me, but I kept my cool, planned ahead, waited in my box and made the turn. Mohammed wrote her on his pad again when I slowed down after the sat-nav finished, but it was almost over. I was almost home free, but on the last turn off sticker lane to the test centre, at the lights, right in my lane, was a car with its hazards on. In the space of about a second, panic struck me. I found myself going back to old habits and asking Mohammed, should I go round? And of course his reply was, I can't tell you, what do you think? For another half second there was blind panic again. Then something odd happened. I found myself calmly, almost automatically, checking my mirrors, signalling left, checking the lights, going around the hazard, checking my mirrors, signalling right, then moving back into my box as if it was the easiest thing in the world. It was like for those ten seconds, the spirit of Lewis Hamilton had entered my body. I pulled up outside the test centre and awaited my results. It was the shock of my life when Mohammed told me I'd passed. I told him he was joking, nobody passes his mock test. But he told me he'd done it. I had nearly messed up when I forgot to check my mirrors leaving the Dudley Hill roundabout, but fortunately no one was on my left, so I got away with it. Unfortunately, I rewarded Mohammed for his kind feedback by driving like an absolute goon for the last half hour of his lesson as we were going home, choosing the wrong lane and changing without checking, missing roundabout exits and forgetting my observations. By the end of the lesson, I was back to being worried, but Mohammed said he believed in me. At last the day came. Mohammed picked me up on time and what followed was the most intense one-hour driving lesson of my life as Mohammed tried me out with all of the manoeuvres, then driving from one side of the city to the other, trying to look at traffic and trying to figure out what routes I could be more likely to get. But traffic was bad everywhere, so it could be anywhere. The whole time he peppered me with the show-me-tell-me question, which I answered confidently, having spent hours watching the answers on the DVSA's videos the weekend before. Last thing before the test, we had a go on my old nemesis, the Dudley Hill roundabout. Turn right, third exit, just like on my mock test, I got in the right lane, this time I checked my mirrors, then, for reasons I will never know, I signalled right to exit. Mohammed quickly flicked them to left and reminded me of that basic thing. Even when turning right at a roundabout, you still signal left to exit. I'll never forget the dead calm seriousness in his voice when he said, I hope you remember that on the test, Roger. We got to the test centre. It was time. Three examiners came out for other candidates, and just when I was asking Mohammed if I should be worried my name hadn't been called out yet, an examiner came asking for me. He seemed a nice enough bloke, but was clearly all business. He spoke automatically, as if the things he was saying had already been said a thousand times. They probably had. I read a number plate, answered a question about checking tyre tread depth. He checked the vehicle, asked me to wind the windows down due to Covid, then it was time to start. And, just like my mock test, we were starting with the reverse bay parking exercise. As I pulled out and looked to line up the edge of the target bay to my reference point, the first flash of panic hit me. The window sticker was my reference point. And with the windows pulled down, that sticker wasn't there anymore. Oh well, I'll just have to wing it, which I did. I remembered to observe everywhere, even in places I knew nobody would be. And after using the reversing camera to adjust my steering a smidgen, I found my car sliding into the bay next to another blue car. After the test, I remember Mohammed asking me why I chose that bay instead of one that had no cars next to it. And my simple answer was, I was just winging it. I didn't choose that bay, that bay chose me. Out of the test centre we went, then up sticker lane. We then went left into Tyresol, a maze of thin residential streets, parked cars and meeting situations, where at one point two cars on either side of the road decided to pull out in front of me simultaneously and without signalling. But I stayed calm and drove through the eye of the needle. There had been enough space, just, I thought, I hoped, 
But, well, we hadn't hit anything, so hey-ho, best keep on going. We pulled up God knows where, and the instructor put the sat-nav on. First instruction was turn right, then turn left. I knew this junction, tricky one, but the road was clear, so I made the right turn and then signalled left, before realising a second later that the sat-nav meant me to turn left at the end of the road, not straight away. So I quickly said no and turned the signal off, praying it hadn't cost me. The roads became more familiar, and I found myself driving down Fenby Avenue. As soon as I heard the sat-nav telling me to turn left onto the ring road, I knew where I was heading. Dudley Hill Roundabout. I tried to imagine the look that would be on Mohammed's face. He was tracking my progress on WhatsApp, and I couldn't help wonder if he would be smiling or feeling concerned as the sat-nav told me exactly what I knew it would say. At the roundabout, turn right, third exit. And that's when it happened again. The spirit of Lewis Hamilton took me over. I got onto that roundabout, knew my lane, stayed in it, checked mirrors, signalled left, stayed below 30, and entered Wakefield Road like I had been doing it all my life. It was the one part of my test that I knew I had done absolutely perfectly. But as we went down Wakefield Road and I began to realise I was lucky enough to be getting pretty much the exact route I had on my mock test, we hit traffic and I noticed my legs shaking and turning to jelly. I missed my first chance to go waiting at the roundabout, but I saw my chance next and rushed slightly to get back on there in front of the grey car that I hoped was far enough back to mean I'd gotten away with it. Then we went down into town. Signalling right, I changed my lane, then flicked my signals off, but flicked too hard and inadvertently signalled left. I realised my mistake within half a second, clicked it off and prayed yet another time that that was another thing that I'd gotten away with. And that's when I got beeped and where I had thought I had failed for sure. While we were waiting in traffic to turn onto Leeds Road, I was waiting at the lights and saw a gap that maybe could have possibly been big enough for the car, but I didn't want to risk it. If the gap had been too small, I'd be sticking my back end out into the junction and blocking traffic, which Mohammed had warned me not to do. In my feedback, the examiner told me if I had done that, I actually would have been okay. And the junction didn't even have yellow markings anyway, so it was alright. But my waiting had made the white van behind me impatient. He honked his horn. I decided I'd stick to my decision and didn't move. The white van honked his horn again, swerved out of his lane around me, then slotted himself into the gap I wasn't willing to take. His back end stuck out a bit, but not enough to stop traffic. I'd annoyed other road users enough to make them do risky things. Not good. Then I heard the fire engine... I had no idea where it was and couldn't see it in any of my mirrors or blind spots, so I carried on. As we pulled onto Leeds Road, I saw it coming up and prepared to stop, but before I could do so, I heard the examiner say, I'm going to take charge here, stop for the fire engine. I stopped. It passed. The examiner said, drive on, and I drove on. Knowing that now he'd given me a verbal instruction, I'd failed for sure. I don't remember much about the rest of the drive. Leeds Road must have been quite forgiving for once, because nothing crazy that I had had to react to happened there, which is a phenomenon in itself. But before long, I was back at the test centre where I parked up and the examiner told me I could usher Mohammed over to listen to his feedback. Mohammed came over and I opened my door so he could listen in and the examiner gave his verdict. He broke the news to me quickly, robotically and in the most dispassionate voice I've ever heard. Well, Roger, we've completed the test and I'm glad to say you've passed. I squealed like a baby. Then I got it together for another few seconds to listen to his feedback. There were two minor driving faults. Two? I bawled at him, unable to believe it. I thought I'd messed up down there in town with that van. Oh yeah, one of your minors was for planning with that gap. You could have made it, but you did the right thing, not risking it. If he wants to take the chance, it's his problem. You didn't do anything wrong. Your other minor was for the roundabout on Wakefield Road. In my typical style, I tried talking myself out of success by mentioning, but you stopped me for the fire engine. I I'd seen it, but you told me to stop. Oh yeah, I thought you'd seen it. I just told you to help you out and make sure, because I saw you looking for it. That fast-talking, dispassionate, wonderful, lovely robot man took my provisional licence and walked away, leaving me with Mohammed and my pass certificate, which now sits framed in pride of place under the telly next to a handful of congratulations cards. Mohammed drove me home. 
I was too emotional and we needed to get out of the test centre post haste. But I was glad because it gave me a chance to call my wife and hear her and my kids shouting their congratulations down the phone. I talked to Mohammed about it a bit and told him what a great instructor he was and how much time and money he'd saved me. Mohammed did ask if there was anything I thought he could do to improve as an instructor. I told him that if ever he decided driving instruction wasn't his thing, he should consider teaching in a school because there is no doubt in my mind that his calm manner, clear explaining and infinite patience would be an absolute godsend in the classrooms of Bradford. When I got home, my wife was waiting outside the house with a big hug and congratulations for me. My neighbours, who had given me advice about Nick, also saw this and passed on their well wishes. I promised never to block their drive. Talking of Nick, in a moment of naughtiness during my celebrations that night, I did send him and Alex messages letting them know that I'd passed my test on the first attempt with two minors. Alex never replied, but Nick did, with one word, good. And he was right. It was. This isn't the end of the saga. Thanks to the pandemic and the war in Ukraine, it looks like I'm going to have a fair bit of a wait before I get my lovely shiny new motability car. A few more months to wait before I get on the roads of Bradford and the motorways out of it. There's many more adventures to be had as I enter the wonderful world of driving. But for now, this chapter is done. I can look back on these two years through the pandemic and think of and thank all of my family, friends, instructors, and of course my dad. And I can say, I did it. And it's been a privilege to share this chapter with you. Thank you so much for listening to it. Goodbye. I won't give up.